Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us in praising the King of Kings this morning. Somebody here today, God needed to remind you that the waves and wind, they still know his name. Uh, They still must respond to him. And so whatever it is that you're going through this morning, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, I'm glad that you're here if you're on the mountaintop. I'm glad that you're here if you're in the valley. I'm glad that you're here if you're somewhere in between, going up or coming down. I'm glad that you're here. And I believe that God has a word for us from the gospel according to Matthew. So if you have your Bible, would you join me there? Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> but I want you to smile, a couple of you. If y'all, we all do that? Just one or two of you? No? All right. Well, I won't either. Well, let's look at it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Y'all sm- hey, one time, can we all together just smile? It improves the whole room and atmosphere when we just smile one time. Yeah, see? And uh, we do have reason to smile because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin this morning in verse number 14. Matthew 25 and 14. As we're reminded of last week's message, it dealt with some animals. Do you guys, can you think back that far? Uh, We talked about two different kinds of animals. You remember Jesus was separating them. They were the sheep and the goats, right? And by the end of chapter 25, we learned that from Jesus' explanation there that we don't want to be a goat, right? We said that in our culture, goat is the greatest of all time, but not biblically. And so we don't want to be a goat. Remember what he said to the sheep. The word that he said to them was come. Come, inherit this wonderful kingdom that your father has prepared for you. But to the goats, he said, one word, do you remember? Go, depart, get away from me. Uh, and so we said we don't want to be the goat. Remember the determining factor was whether or not they were living the mission. Now, living the mission doesn't make you saved, but when you are saved and born again, you are going to Y'all are just aren't going to participate today, huh? Y'all want, to, y'all want to just close it up and go to the house, don't you? Uh, come on, I need you to participate this morning. I don't want to preach down to you. I want us to interact together, okay? And that means you. You know, you know you're waiting for the people right left of you to respond. You respond, okay? So let me ask you again. Uh, as we think about this message that Jesus said, one of these days a final judgment is coming. We don't want to be a goat. We want to be the sheep. The people of God live the mission. We live the mission. Okay, today we're going to rewind. Now, that's unusual. Usually we go forward from where we were, but last week we were at the end of chapter 25. We're going to rewind back to one parable before where we were last week. Now, remember, a parable is an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. Jesus often used parables to teach lessons, okay? And so today he's going to do the same. Remember Matthew chapter 24, he begins to show them that there's an end coming. There's an end times coming. Uh, That one of these days he's going to end the struggle with sin and pain and there's going to be a a rapture of the church or or, uh, those of us who are before the rapture are going to die and go meet him. So there's coming an end to all this mess down here. And Jesus has made possible for us to be with him forever. But as he's talking about one day he's coming back. He starts to build on what does that mean for the believer? In other words, knowing that one of these days Jesus is coming back, how should I be found? What should I be doing? What should my life look like? Okay? So today we're going to make the case that you should have a spending lifestyle. Let me just sort of look at y'all. Now, there's some husbands in the room that right now said, why are we here today? I could, we should be, hey, I, I thought at 830 a couple of them were about to grab their wives and go. You know, or, or there's some wives going to grab their husbands. Now, look, I was just telling you, we're spending too much. Come on, we got to go. And now, I want you to hang on because it's probably not going to be the same kind of spending that you've been talking against or teaching against, okay? So, uh, let me ask this question of you. <clears throat> if you are a, a couple, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, are one of you more prone to spend? 
I love that right there. Boy, you're talking about getting some stuff. Feel that? Feel that in the room? It's kind of like, I don't know if I should say yes. I love that. A couple of y'all looked at each other. Um, usually, one or the other is a little more prone to spending, okay? And uh, some other things about spending and saving. Uh, in life, I've heard people who are financially sound, they'll say this, uh, you don't need to spend frivolously, right, uh, on wasteful things. In other words, save every dime you can. That's what they'll say, save every dime you can. On the other hand, I know some, I have a few friends that are like extremely wealthy. And they say, don't save everything you can. They say, invest everything you can. Because money saved, buried in a jar somewhere, gets a little small amount of interest, and it just sort of stays what it is. But if you can take it and invest it in something that returns, you gain what my friends call free money. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Money that you didn't necessarily earn, but the investment comes back on what you put in. Is anybody tracking with me this morning? So today, I want to make the case that children of God are supposed to spend his resources on the mission. We should, in fact, live a spending lifestyle. Now, you'll understand what I mean in just a moment, okay? Without any further ado, I want to invite you then to stand to your feet with me this morning, and let's begin in Matthew 25 and verse 14, okay? Stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. And as you stand, I was going to do a couple things here, a little housekeeping. Would you grab your phone? And if you will, on the side of your phone, turn it on silent. We had two interrupt us in the early worship time. If you ignore me now, everybody's going to look really weird. It was very awkward. Everybody in that section was like, uh-huh, you didn't do it. So if you will, right now, turn it on to silent. And then if you're a part of social media, say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, as I share our message this morning, put it in front of who needs to hear it. And then trust God to do what he does. He's using you as a missionary from your chair out here in the middle of nowhere. All right, so now that we're settled in and we're in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, I'm going to read. You read along with me, all right, as I, as I read Matthew 24, 14, all the way down. You ready? To verse 30. Okay, here we go. For the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus telling a parable, <clears throat> is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods. Whose goods? His goods. And then he delivered it to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one talent uh, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he had received five talents. The one who did came and brought five other talents. And this is what he said. Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained Five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, the second guy. Let's see what happens. He also who had received two talents came, and this is what he said. Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides the ones that you gave me. Verse 23, and his Lord, how did he respond? Said this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 24, then, third guy, the one who had received the one talent came, and here's what he said. Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, uh, reaping what, where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. 
So then you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own, y'all help me out, with, I would have got what I gave you plus some. So take the talent from him and get, now talent is a sum of money, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who will have an, aband- uh, an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. What in the world is he talking about? And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, let's pause for a word of prayer. Would you bow your head with me? As you're bowing your head, I want to say thank you for being patient and seating and people sitting in different places and all locations as we are figuring out space. Thank you for patience. Whatever you do, keep coming, keep coming, all right? So, Lord, as we are here today, we've come with the intent in our heart to worship you. So would you help me as I preach as an act of worship? Lord, would you, by the Holy Spirit, grant me that power to use the gift you've given me to preach with clarity to the youngest and the oldest and everybody in between? Father, would you help me with all my weakness and inadequacy. God, you know me better than anybody in this room knows me. I'm less than ordinary. So please, once again, put on display this great truth. You can use anybody, anywhere, anytime. And as you do that, would you touch our ears to hear from the youngest to the oldest and everybody in between that we would hear what you're saying about our lives, that we wouldn't think about how it applies to those around us or that person who's not here, but instead it would be as if only us and you are in the room. So please, speak from heaven, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. And as you're being seated, we're going to rewind back to the beginning, all right? And if you're our guest today, uh, God's wired me in such a way that I, I do something called expository preaching, which simply means verse at a time, okay? And we strive not to skip things, and we hit the hard things. And so today you've come, I believe, to a place where God is about to feed you. We don't want you to leave here with your soul hungry, okay? Now, um, as we look at the message, I like to sum up, if you will, the purpose of this parable in one sentence. It's called the main point, the main idea, all right? So I'm going to share that with you. Here it is. You can be thinking about it all along. The main idea of Matthew chapter 25, 14 to 30 is simply this. God's kids spend his resources living the mission. Now, tomorrow, when someone asks you, what would you do this weekend? Well, man, I gathered with the people of God, and I did it twice. Can you believe that? What's wrong with you? You're weird. I just love Jesus, and I want to grow, and I'm trying to learn and, be, and, and, and strive to be more like him and get closer to him. And I learned Sunday morning that his kids, God's kids, spend his resources on, y'all help me, the mission. Write that somewhere so that when I ask you later today, hey, do you remember the man I did from this morning? You'll be able to say, yeah, I remember God's kids spend his resources on living the mission, all right? So, uh, now let's go and break it down a little at a time. Rewind with me, if you will, back to verse number 14, okay? <clears throat> and remember, the title is The Spending Lifestyle. I want to convince you before we leave that you ought to be spending your life away. Some of you are like, hallelujah, we came to the right place. Um, hang on, it may not be for the purposes with which you have a tendency to spend them on, okay? So stay with me as we go along. Number one in your notes there, would you write this down? God grants everyone a portion of his resources. Would you write that down? God grants, I'm going to ask you who? Everyone. What does he grant them? A portion of his resources, okay? So God does that. Now, uh, you've heard it said this way before. God causes the rain to fall on the just and 
the unjust alike. For, for both of them, the just and the unjust, the rain falls. Now, do you understand that that word, that wording in that verse is a picture of God's resources? How many of you know that rain is a precious resource from God? If you don't think it is, watch what happens when you go through a drought. Uh, ultimately, you go through a drought. Uh, let's just kind of boil it down to simplicity. The grass dies. When the grass dies, everything that eats the grass dies. If you're a vegan or a vegetarian, then you're going to die, right? Because you're going to run out of grass. Or you might swap over and stay with some of us who eat meat. You're going to eat meat for a little while. But guess what? If the grass is dried up, then eventually the animals that eat grass are going to dry up. And guess what? We all die. So God gives a portion of his resources to who? Everybody, the just and the unjust. Now, let me show you here in the passage, and I'm going to tell you something a guy said to me a number of years ago. Look in verse number 14. Jesus telling this parable said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. And this man is going to be referred to as the master a little later on, okay? And the master is going on a trip. He's leaving from where his servants are. The master in this parable is representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has left physically where we are, and he's now where? In heaven, okay? And yet, while he's gone, he has invested something, his resources in these servants. The picture is Jesus investing in his children, the children of God, the resources of God while he is away. But remember, the whole point of this is he's coming back. He's coming back. So, let's read a little further. He says, he's like a man traveling to a far country. Okay, what about this man, this master who's leaving, who's here, but he's leaving. He's called by his, who called his own servants. He gets his people together, and he delivers not their goods, but he delivers his goods to them. So, these servants, apart from the master, don't have great resource. Listen to me. You and I, apart from God, do not have great resource resource. And so what he does, he takes up what he has. And by the way, might I tell you that our master has an unlimited supply of resource. Uh, the well of his riches will never run dry. And so he's bestowed on his people. He calls his service together. He says, now I'm taking what is mine and I'm giving it to you. All right. So I want to give you a verse to, to help highlight this. If you will write down in your notes there, James chapter one, verse number 17, James chapter one, verse number 17. You may be asking yourself this morning, what is God's resource that he's given me a portion of? And uh, I'm going to clarify here in James chapter 1, verse number 17. Okay, so listen with me. James 1, 17. James said this. Every, I want you all to read this with me, okay? Every, all right, we got to, something's got to give, y'all. Something has got to give. Y'all need to do some jumping jacks this morning? So, come on, y'all. Wake up with me now. Hey, listen, this isn't a comic book. This ain't Facebook. This isn't a, a novel you're reading. This is the Word of God, and I'm asking you to participate. So I'm going to challenge you. Read it like you believe it. Amen? Say it with a little unction, if you will, okay? And so we can be in this again, because y'all put me to sleep, and I don't want to turn around and put you to sleep. So y'all help me, okay? Here we go. Let's do that again. James 1.17 on the overhead. Every good gift comes from, is from above, and comes down from, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen to this. The Father of lights has brought every good and every perfect gift into your life. Let's talk about some of those. You ready? First of all, time. How many of you know that time is a precious gift that God gives? Have you ever tried to add a day to your life? You ever been in a corpse and seen them laying on the table or in the casket and said, well, I bet they tried to add one more day to their life. Here's why. They can't. It's a gift from God. Your time is a gift from God. Now, let me just ask you a question. Have you thought about that this week? 
Like in other words, as the clock, the clock is ticking, tick, 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 you know, seconds are going by. Have you thought about that? God gave me those minutes as a gift. I didn't buy them. You can't go to Walmart and purchase them. You can't earn anymore. Is that God graciously gave us. And by the way, who's the creator of time and therefore time is his? God. So part of the resource of my life is time. But here's the problem. You and I think it's our time. Next, I'd like to talk for a moment about our talents, those things that you're good at, the things that you are passionate about. It may be drawing. It may be running a tractor. It may be you're good at talking. It may be administrative gifting. You have all kinds of giftings. But the gift that you have, the things that you are good at, God is the one who gave you the ability. Isn't it interesting how some people can do some things and others can't? You ever thought much about that? Like for me, it's algebra. Uh, those of you people who can put alphabet with numbers, I don't understand you. And I, and I say that that's, that that's an ability that, you know, God not given me. Uh, now, I did fine with regular math, but when you put letters and numbers and you're trying to figure out something that hadn't been seen and you got all these formulas, anyway, uh, we are gifted by God with abilities that are different from each other. Did you know that about me and you? Now, see, some of y'all looking down the carpet, you say, well, not me. And I'll say to you, yes, you. And I tell you, look up from that ground. You were made in the image of God. And if you've been born again, you were given the spirit of God who, in fact, brought gifts when he came. And he knitted you together in your mother's womb and your hair color and your eye color and the tone of your voice and where you live. And everything about you is a gift that is part of your abilities to make a difference for the glory of God. Now, we have time. We have talent. We have, oh, and here's the one everybody likes to talk about, money. Money. Let me look at your face. How are you using your money? Whose money is it? Time, talent, and treasure. We're going to call it treasure, but really I want you to put money there. Now, someone said to me one time, isn't it weird to like talk about money? Well, it can be depending on your audience. Um, if the people are rooted and grounded in the book, God's book, the Bible, when you get to a passage, and by the way, the word talent in here is a word that can only mean money. So we're not going to feel weird about what Jesus, the master teacher, chose to use as the example of our investing. Oh. Now, the only reason we get funny when we talk about our money is because our money can sometimes get funny, right? And usually because we're not investing it in the right things. Oh. See how that turned real quick? went from laughter to, oh, all right. So uh, God has given me time. God has given me abilities. And God has given me I <laughs> swing and a miss. Let's try it again. God has given me time. God has given me abilities, and God has given me money. There y'all go. See, I see. It doesn't feel so bad. Money. He's giving me money. Now the problem again is that we think it's ours, and that's why we get weird about it. And we listen. Let me just tell you the, the opposite of what's happening here in this parable. Jesus, using himself as the master, is helping to explain everything you have that's good in your life and perfect in your life came from God. So isn't it easier, let me just ask you something, isn't it easier to spend somebody else's money? Why then is it so difficult to invest God's? See, we really look at it like I worked hard, I trained hard, I went to school for a long time, I, 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 I. And we fail to realize that every resource that got us to where we are came from God. From God. So, number one, number one, God grants everyone a portion of his resources. Let me ask you a question. Do saved people have time, talent, and money? Yes. 
Do lost people have time, talent, money? Yes. The point is, God gives a portion of it to everybody, okay? But now, that's not the end of the story, so hang on. Now, let me make a statement to you, because why does God, we're going to move in just a minute and talk about the why, but I need you to remember something, because the, the big framework here this year is that we're gearing our minds and lives toward living the mission. And I need to tell you something that I'm going to intentionally say all the time so we don't get weird about it, okay? The mission costs. Can I say that to you again? The mission costs. And the sooner that settles in that old nature of Adam in you that doesn't want to give up anything, when you realize everything you have comes from God, I'm telling you, it'll start freeing you up. And so I want you just to begin to think about the mission costs. What does it cost? It costs time. It costs talent or abilities. You had to use the abilities to, to accomplish the mission. And it costs money. All three. All three. All right, so moving on, number two. Look how quick y'all are. Y'all listening so smooth this morning? And we just took a little while getting woke up a little bit, didn't we? Okay, so here we go. Roman number two. We said, first, God grants everyone a portion of his resources. So every one of us in here have received time, talent, and treasure from God. Number two, but here's the difference. God's kids spend his resources for his glory. Now, you'll see what I mean as we build this, okay? And this is going to be verses 15 on down through verse number 23. The next example in the parable is of those servants who really belong to the master, who really are his. Now, uh, I want you to, for a minute, you may be asking yourself the question, where did you get that from those verses? What in those verses, 15 to 23, specifically say those are God's children? It doesn't. But when you read down to verse 30, we find that what they do in verses 15 to 23 proves that they are his kids. Does that make sense? As the last guy proves he's not his kid. You'll see it as we go through, okay? So look with me at verse number 15. God's kids spend his resources for what? His glory. His glory. In other words, what's the purpose of his giving? If God has, in fact, given me time and talent and treasure, money, why has he given it to me? All right? What's the, what's the reasoning, if you will? So let's read verse number 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So imagine the, uh, the master is giving the gifts that don't belong to the people, the talent, the money, the resource to the, to the servants, and then he goes away. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So they took the resource and they invested it. Does that make sense? All right, so let's read a little further along. And likewise... The second guy who had received two did the same. He gained two more also. Notice that both of them had 100% gain on what was given to them, reinvested, came back double, all right? Verse 18. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Uh, we're going to see the difference between a spending lifestyle and a hoarding lifestyle. Do you see it? The first two were what? Oh, mercy, we're not tracking today. The first two were spending lifestyles. What they were invested, they spent, okay? The, the, the third guy, he didn't spend at all. He instead hoarded. What did it look like? Putting his money in a jar, digging a hole in the ground, keeping it safe and secure so that at the end, it doesn't, no, no, no gain, it just stays the same, okay? So read a little further down. Verse 23, received five talents, came and brought five. Oh, I need to get verse number 19. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts 
Remember the theme of chapter 25. The Lord is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to settle accounts. Are you with me? Now, remember, today's message is not about if you will go, give your time and your talent and your treasures, then you'll be a child of God. That's not it. That's not it. Listen to me. You cannot come into the family of God by good works. You cannot. Listen, Spurgeon said it this way. No more than you could climb to the moon on a rope made of sand. It's impossible. So that's not the message. The message is, if you are born again, it will be evident in how you spend the resources of God. Does that make sense to you? Everybody tracking? If anybody's dozed off, wake them up. I don't want to leave them out of here and say, oh, if I go give all my money, I'm going to go to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ shed blood, his resurrection. Your surrender to him and, sur- and receiving him as Lord is your only hope to know God and be right with God. But this is what it looks like when it happens. A spending lifestyle, Okay. All right, moving on, verse 19. After a long time, the Lord comes back. Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents. And this is what he said, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides the ones that you gave me. All that you gave me, I reinvested. Everything that you gave me, I put back into play. You gave it to me because, and what we learn in the next few verses, is the reason he's given me and you time, talent, and abilities, time, abilities, and money, is because he wants some return on his investment. When he comes to settle accounts, there should be some addition to the kingdom, some multiplication to the kingdom. People saved, uh, believers encouraged because he gave you time, talent, and money to do it, and me. Okay? So, reading on, on down, verse number 21. So, he said to him, listen to what he says to this first servant. He says in verse 21, can you all read it with me, the first two words? He says, well done. Well done. I want you to think about that for a minute. Um, I am reminded of the Apostle Paul when he kept, he, he spoke often about living for the reward. Living for the reward. Part of the reward that I'm living for is one day I'm going to stand before the high king of heaven. And I know this, I'm going to be able to see the nail-scarred hands And I'm going to be able to look deep into the eyes who knew every single thing about me, every sin I ever committed or every sin I committed by omitting, not doing. And he loves me the same. And one day I'm going to look into his eyes. And you know what? I can't wait to hear. I hope that I get to hear. Good job. Good job. How many of you in your life somewhere along the journey, somebody, whether it be mama, daddy, grandmama, granddaddy, a coach, a teacher, said to you, looked you in the eyes and said to you, good job. How many of you say that that word of affirmation can be something that transforms your life? Hallelujah. When somebody just says, hey, good job. Can you even for a moment fathom what that must be like to have Jesus the Christ look at you and say, good job. With the resources I gave you, my spirit, my church, with time, with, with the things I made you good at, and with the money I gave you and gave you the ability to earn, Good job. You didn't just build you a house. You didn't just build you a really big house. You didn't just buy you the nicest car. You didn't just live the American dream and then die and have no impact on eternity. But you took the resources that I gave you and you made a difference for all eternity. Good job. Good job. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm longing to hear him say to me, good job. 
But that's not the end of it because what he says to this, in, he's looking, why did he give it? He gave it for the return, and he says, good job. And listen, uh, many of us think that he's going to say good job because we maintained a budget and didn't overspend. He's gonna, some, some of us in here are fooled to think that he's going to say good job because we raised kids who made straight A's, <laughs> and we missed the mission. I want to hear him say, good job, Terry, with what I did for you, with what I gave you. You didn't wait till you grew old. You didn't wait till you graduated. You didn't wait till whoever you are out there. You just, good job. And he, listen to what he says. He says, good job. I want to put your eyes back on, on verse number uh, 21. He says, uh, uh, his Lord said to him, well done. And then, and then here's what he calls him. He, 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 listen, he says, well done. And then he says, good and faithful. See, see what, what, he, what, what we're aiming at is that our life would not be really hot one minute, really cold the next minute really lukewarm the next minute. Listen, the target of our life, the aim of our life is not to please the Lord in, in, on Sunday morning and then Monday we just go kind of run rampant and do what we want to do. Uh, the goal of our life, listen, is not, to, is not to honor God in everything but our finances or with our finances but not our time. Uh, it is to be, here's the word, are you ready? Consistent. What, what, imagine Jesus looking you in the eyes and saying, good job. You, you did it consistently. You weren't hot one day and cold the next. It wasn't your eighth grade year you were close to me, but ninth grade year you weren't. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't all in weekend you were fired up, and, and, and then the rest of the week you weren't. It, it was good job, my good and faith. That word faithful means consistent. And oh, that God would make me and you. Why did he give us what he's given us? He's given it so that me and you could invest in the kingdom and have return, and one day you and I will get to hear, good job. Good job. Can you imagine that? I, I envision him putting his arm around me, and I'm going to squeeze him because I love to hug, and I can't wait to hug Jesus. So this morning, let's just move on if we can. I'll get lost in that thought and forget exactly everything that I'm ready to preach this morning because I really, honest to God, live for that moment. Uh, everything else is just sort of part of the process of getting there. But one of these days, I'm going to get to see him, and I can't wait. I can't wait. Don't cry for me when I'm gone. Hallelujah. Let, let's say, all right, Roman numeral one, we said God grants everyone a portion of his resources. Why? He expects an investment on his return. Number two, God's kids spend his resources for his glory. The first one did. The second one did. And what he said to them because they live for his glory and not their own, well done. Good job. Good job, my good and faithful servant. So he invested in us to get a return. And let me just say this. The return it comes from a transformed life. It's when the Spirit of God transforms me from a hoarder to a spender. Now, you may not know this about you, but, well, when you think about somebody who's a hoarder, you think about somebody maybe who stores stuff they don't need and then they finally run out of space. Y'all getting a picture here? Any of y'all ever see the show? I think it was called Hoarders, wasn't it? And I don't know if it's still on or not, but I remember, remember years ago watching that and thinking, good night. You know, these people are saving couch cushions. What in the world? But how much more ridiculous that the children of God would take the resource of God and just keep it for ourselves. I mean, you don't talk about ridiculous. You think having a house that has little narrow trails to walk through is ridiculous? You imagine receiving everything that God's given me and you as far as resources and then not doing anything with it but just living the American dream. That's so ridiculous. Think about it. So he said that the purpose of it is that we would live for him, a transformed lifestyle. Now, what does the hoarding lifestyle look like? It looks like I'm spending all of my resources, my time, my talent, my abilities, and my treasure, my money, on what's comfort, safety, and pleasure. 
Someone said to me one time, well, then is it wrong for me to have a camper, mobile home? I said, well, no, it's not wrong. But let me ask you, what are you investing? What are you doing with it? What are you investing? In other words, if, we, if, we were to just, if you were to look at your bank account, if you spent that much on that, what are you, where are you investing the rest of your money? And I'm not talking about the 401, you know, that, all, that deal. I'm talking about in the kingdom of, of heaven where moth doesn't eat it and rust don't get it. And, because he says where your heart is, there your treasure will be. The sad thing is that a lot of times our heart is really about us. And so that's where our treasure stays. We bury it in a jar and we say, I've got it. You know, I just want to just have a comfortable, safe life. And, and, you know, I'll go to church and every once in a while, I might, if they ask me, I'll, I'll be a greeter, you know, because that's a lot of sacrifice to, to you know, except it's really not. And it's not a lot of time. You, you see what I mean? So, so we got to be careful, don't we? Anybody, y'all still with me? We, I'm not saying you, we, me and you. We got to be careful that we're asking ourselves the question, hey, God's kids spend his resources for his glory. That's the whole point of it all, all right? Now, if I could move on and make another statement that I already made in point one, and that is this, living the mission costs. He gave us what we need, time, abilities, and money, because the mission costs. And what does the mission cost? You ready? It costs time. It costs, it requires talents and abilities, and it costs money. Simple, isn't it? So simple a child can understand. Now, I'm going to come back to the mission in just a little bit. And you say, well, what is this mission that you speak of? Is it the trip that you're going on to Africa? And I'd say, yes. You say, is it, is it going into Florence and uh, uh, doing some painting in the dugouts and stuff or, so that we can show the God? Yes. Is it, is it uh, also in the youth camps and, 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 and student camp and children's camp? Yeah, absolutely. All of that's part of the mission. By the way, what is the mission? Making disciples. Now, I want you to think about two phases, evangelism and teaching. See the difference? Evangelism, I'm sharing Jesus and how a person can come to know God and be right with him only through Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection, and then simply saying to them, this is what he has done for me, and do you know him? Would you like to know him? There's, there's the evangelism. Now, that's the first step. Now, remember, when a person says yes and invites Jesus to be Lord, that is the first step. They've just come into the family. That's, it's not the finish line. It's the starting line. And then Jesus' model, he says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, is then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that I've commanded you. So here's the second part of discipleship. We then put our arms around them, and we say, now listen, I'm not perfect, and I've not gotten there yet, but I'm going to teach you what he's taught me. And man, we are seeing that happen here like never before. People are pairing up, guys with guys and gals with gals. And you right now thinking, well, what in the world? How can I find out about that? Call the church office and we will inform you and let you know and give you some tools. And you may be somebody who wants to do that with somebody. You may be somebody that says, I need somebody to do that with me. And really all of us should be in that kind of relationship, uh, discipling relationship. And so that's the mission. And it costs time, abilities, and money. Let me give you, for instance, and then I'm going to move on. Okay, I'm trying to move on. Here it is. Someone, it, it occurred to me one day as I was praying about, and we we're talking about this year, and we said, what do we usually do to help our students get away, you know, on the mountaintop to spend some time with God where we see kids get saved, we see kids get called to missions, we see kids get close to God, same thing with, with, with our children, with our younger children, and we, I said, well, here, here's what, I was sitting there last year, and I shared this with you guys, and I just got to thinking about the fact that we generally, how do we usually fund that? Well, we sell chicken tenders, or, you know, I don't know, Whatever. And it occurred to me that you don't find that in the Word of God. 
you know, I just try to keep it simple and let what we do line up with the Scripture. Is everybody all right? Y'all okay? Y'all tracking where I'm going? And it occurred to me why it's not in there. Because God doesn't intend for the world to fund the mission of the church. God intends the church to fund the mission of the church. And what happens is if you and I all participate, we don't need to sell no doggone chicken tenders. Y'all with me? Well, it's not a profit share kind of thing. We're not in this thing to, uh, we, he's already given us the resources. The problem is most of us have it buried in a jar. Save for our vacation and for our, you know, and we're just not investing in the kingdom whatsoever. And so we ask the world, now listen, we're going to take our kids to Disneyland, but look, we're going to sell chicken tenders so we can get them to camp, let them really get close to God. And so we got to really, eva- don't we have to just sort of take a step back and evaluate? Anybody with me? Y'all are just looking at the carpet. Don't look at the carpet. We just got to evaluate. That's all. We got to start asking ourselves some questions. How are we doing this his way? So why do he give it to us? So that we can invest. There's a return on the investment. Number three, quickly. Here's the question. What then, I want you to listen to this. What then can stop return on his investment? In other words, the time he's given me, the abilities he's made me good at, and the money he has allowed me to earn, okay? What can stop those three things in my life from having a return? Okay, that's a logical question. I'm going to give you three answers from, from the response in the passage, okay? Number one, misunderstanding the master. Misunderstanding the master. By the way, the heart of man cannot understand the heart of God unless the heart of God comes to live inside the heart of man. Did anybody get that? The heart of man cannot understand the heart of God unless the heart of God comes and takes residence inside the heart of man. What do you mean, preacher? We are born with a heart that is selfish and wants to hoard everything for ourselves. Do you know that? If you don't know that, go hang out in the nursery for a little bit. You'll find stuff hidden. It's so interesting. The little bitty ones, you know, they don't, they've never, they don't, they can't even say the word hidden. But they hide things so that the other kids can't get them. Isn't it interesting? And I know you didn't sit them down. I know that you didn't sit them down as you were teaching them how to walk, you know, one foot in front of the other and helping them walk across. I know you didn't sit them down and say, now, while we're working on this, let me also teach you how to hide things so no other kids can play with them. You didn't do that. Isn't it evident to you then that every heart is born separated from God with a nature to know exactly how to do what's wrong? And so unless Jesus comes in, we don't understand. So this one, and remember, by the end of it, we find out this one who buries it is not one of the master. He's the, he doesn't belong to him. And as, this, as it's unfolding, he says in verse 24 and 25, well, the reason I hid it, verse 24 and 25, is because you're mean. You see? You're mean. You just want to take all the, you know, you want to take things you don't, you, that aren't yours. See, isn't that the mentality you and I? I said, well, I only got this much time. Why are you going to take my time, God? Oh, I'm good at this, but I use what I'm good at to earn money. Why would I spend it somewhere else? i got to spend it making money. I need as much money as I can make, right? And we misunderstand the master. Here's what it looks like. It looks like a young child looking at their parents like they don't have any idea about what's going on in the world. Do you remember that when you were a child? Mom and dad are the dumbest things that ever happened. Until you get a little age. Make a few mistakes. Live a little bit. You find out mom and dad really weren't trying to be mean. They really were loving you and trying to help you. A misunderstanding of the master. The one steward thought the guy was mean and didn't deserve anything, and so he just buried it and didn't do anything with it. And sometimes you, when God is calling you to invest your time, you say, well, God, I only got so much time. Why are you trying to suck the fun out of my life? 
I don't want to go serve on missions. I want to go to Disneyland. God, what do you mean give? I don't want to give. I only got so much money, and I really want to go out and eat three or four times this week. And why are you trying to suck the fun out of my life? You, you see the misunderstanding that we have? When God is saying, I want you to invest here, and I want you to invest your time here, and I want you to invest your money here, and I want you to invest what you're good at here, because when you do, you're going to find way more peace than that vacation or that little whatever. You've you misunderstood the master. He's striving to lead me and you to a, listen, a good place, a place of favor and honor. And so, listen, he's, what can stop it? Misunderstanding the master. Have you misunderstood why God is requiring of you to invest what's already his? Have you missed that? Have you, have you found yourself in the model that says, well, I'm not really going to give, and I don't even like when they talk about money at church, right? Misunderstanding the master. Uh, so we're moving right along, all right? Number two, what else can stop the return on the investment? That was in verse 24 and 25. The second thing is a wicked heart. It's a self-centered heart. It's a selfish heart. It's a heart that says, I just only have it for me. Listen to what he calls him. Instead of hearing, well done, good job, he says, instead, look in verse number 26 with me, if you will. And he says, instead of good job, y'all help me, what does he say to him? But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked. Let's just stop right there, you wicked. And so what we said a minute ago is that we don't have to teach that we're born that way. Unless we're born again, that's who we are. But if we've been born again, it ought not be the same. It ought not be that we just sort of come and suck up the resources of God and don't reinvest them in the kingdom. Could it be today that that unfulfillment that you have, that lack of joy, that lack of purpose that you're feeling, you know that you've been born again, is because you're not spending the resources God's given you. Instead, you've been hoarding them. Oh, let me just move on if I can, all right? A wicked heart. The third thing that can stop the return on God's investment, misunderstanding the master, a wicked heart. Number three is laziness. How do y'all deal with laziness? Y'all okay with it? Anybody out here like me, it gets, it, it, I don't know how to put it to you without going into a rant. Laziness gets beside, can anybody else can say that when you see laziness happening, well, I guess it happens by not happening. Uh, how many of you, all right, by show of hands, how many of you, when you see laziness, it absolutely turns you upside down? Raise your hand if you're like me, all right? It's just a few of us. Okay, some of y'all are all right with it. I don't understand you. I, don't, I really don't. I understand how you can look, sit, watch laziness be sitting there. Now, the word lazy in this Greek word here literally means no ambition. Isn't that a good explanation? You ever find yourself somewhere and it's a group of people and something needs to be done? And two or three of the people are already doing something? One person sit on the couch? Huh? No ambition. No thought ever crosses their mind. Hey, I ought to go get up and do this. Matter of fact, the opposite oftentimes is true. I wonder who else could do this. This servant was lazy. He didn't want to take the time to invest what wasn't already his. It was given to him by the graciousness of the master. Instead of putting forth the energy and the effort and having ambition to wake up and say, all right, I've got time. What, how am I going to use it for the glory of God? I've got, I've got abilities. Here's what I'm good at. Maybe I'm good at uh, using a tractor. I can do tractor work. I can do uh, operator. I, how can I use that for the glory of God? How can I use it not to build money? I mean, I mean, maybe you do it to make money, but there's got to be some time that you use it just for the kingdom, just to go help encourage a believer or use it as a platform to share the gospel as you're fixing somebody's driveway for them. Ambition. It means I've got a, get, I've got a go-getter in me. This, <laughs> it's not me, it's him. And he gets me up and he says, now, now, you got this money. How are you going to use it for the glory of God? Uh, or, or have we been guilty of being, what's the word? Lazy. 
lazy, no ambition. Uh, so I sometimes find myself, I really have to, sometimes when I see it happen, I have to just be quiet. You ever find yourself just have to be quiet so you don't say the wrong thing? Because sometimes when I see it, it gets me so much, I have, there's something going on here, and I have to just be quiet and pray because I don't want to come out of here, out of here, what's in here, about when I see somebody, just no ambition, just sitting there. Nobody else is busy, and one's just sitting there. And it just absolutely, and then, and then I'm reminded, but listen to this, right? If, if you're like that, if you're like me, listen, so is God. Hmm. Now, I know you're probably thinking about somebody right now who's lazy, <laughs> but I want to turn your thoughts if I could and ask you to apply it personally to how busy you've been sharing the gospel, how busy you've been using what you're good at just to be a blessing, and how you've been investing the money that you have in the kingdom. Mm. So we don't really need to be thinking about other people. We really need to be thinking about ourselves. You know what I mean? We really should be. I'm talking about me and you thinking about you and me thinking about me. So that can stop the return on his investment. Then finally, number four, how about this? We're about to tent this circus. You all ready? Number four, listen to this, though. Don't miss it. We shall reap what we sow. Will you write that down? We shall reap what we sow. Do you know if you plant butter beans, you shouldn't expect a lemon tree to come out of that? Is anybody here wise enough to know that? If you plant butter beans, you're not going to get a lemon tree. If you plant butter beans, you are, in fact, every single time, 100 out of 100, when you plant a butter bean, what are you going to get? Butter beans. Every single time. Every single time. So then, the same principle is true in the kingdom. Whatever we sow, whatever we are doing, we're going to get returns on it. We're going to get returns on it. There's going to be returns on sitting back and doing nothing. And here it is. You ready? It's a decaying society. Huh? It's a biblical illiteracy in, in, in society. It is a, a society that worships that which God says is unholy and ungodly. It's a society that today is referenced as the sanctity of life when people could even debate whether or not a child should get the right to have an opportunity to live. And it's when the people of God just go to church. That's when it happens. They just go to church. They have the resources of God, time, abilities, and money. They also have the resources of God's Spirit. Oh, I want to show you something right here. They also have the resources of His Word. They also have the resources of His church for avenues, encouragement, accountability, and ways in which to live the mission. And all of that, they just sort of spectate. And it produces a society that does not look anything like the heart of God. Oh, my friend, I don't know about you, but it looks like where we're living, doesn't it? Would you agree with that? I mean, it looks a lot like where we're living. I look at things in society and culture and politics. Oh, doesn't politics make you just nauseous? I mean, either way, whatever direction you want to go, it's just absolutely sickening. But it's, it's a byproduct, I really believe, of the church for many years just sort of going to church and burying the resources of God in our little jars and just being average, just going to church and just wondering why things are going like they're going. Listen, we're going to reap what we sow. Let me finish. All right, pick up verse 27. So you ought to have deposited my money. That's what he says with the bankers at my coming. I would have received back my own with interest. God expects a return. He expects more uh, with what he's given you and me. So take the talent from him and give to him who has ten talents. Why? Because he sowed, he sowed to the kingdom. 
So no longer is what God gave to the unjust now his. He has taken it from the unjust and given to the just. Why? Because he sowed into the kingdom. He gets more. Verse 29. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will be, have abundance. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. What are you talking about, preacher? What is he talking about? What's the point? The point is this. Right now, in this life, he reigns on the just and the unjust. Reign represents the resource of God, just and unjust. But when you die or when he returns, that sharing between lost and, and, and saved, that mercy that lost people have now and grace and provision, time and resources, and there's a line drawn in the sand. And when judgment time comes, God then respects the decision of those that are not his and takes back from them the mercy and the goodness that he showed them their whole lives in hopes that they would turn to him. But since they have chosen not to, he removes all the benefit of what it is to know him, grace, mercy, love. You see, here's what he talks about. Let me just sort of conclude here, verse 30. So he says he will be uh, cast and taken away, in verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant, listen close, into, can you all read with me, the... Notice how he termed it, the outer darkness. Now, so that we don't get confused with where he's talking about, Jesus uses a term that he's used about hell over and over and over again. By the way, Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. Huh. So he says in this passage, read with me, verse 30, into the outer darkness there will be, what's the phrase? So where is he talking about? Hell. Now, here's what you may not have known about hell that we just understand from this particular parable. It's a place of outer darkness. Now, the, the terminology outer darkness need, means the blackness of darkness. It means the absolute absence of light. Now, I'm going to ask the poll in the group, have you, ever, have you ever been somewhere where there was absolutely no light? I mean zero. I think it was, uh, I think it was Tina, she's in the nursery. Maybe Brooklyn remember. Was it Ruby Falls where they cut the light off on you for a minute? Is, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they do it there, don't they? Scared me half to. I don't like that. I don't like, listen, I don't like when it gets so dark that you can't know which way you're supposed to walk. You don't know where the floor is or the ceiling is. Um, I, any of y'all say that when you get in that kind of darkness, it's a little bit disorienting? Imagine for eternity. Never again, never again seeing one glimmer of light. Now, some of y'all think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've heard that we're, it's a lake of fire, and I've heard, and you're right, it is, but it's a fire that burns in darkness. Imagine that. Some of y'all are thinking, yeah, but, 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 but fire gives off light. Not in hell it doesn't. So you'll, you, there'll be a fire. Yes, souls will be burning. Now, you say, why are you saying this, preacher? Because I want you to understand something. There's been a, a lie that's peddled to the humanity, and here's what it is. I saw it on a bumper sticker the other day. It says, when I go to hell, I'm taking over for the devil. And I said, boy, what a misunderstanding because what will happen is you won't know if the devil's beside you or in front of you or beside you. All you'll hear is him weeping and wailing and gnashing his teeth, and you'll be doing the same. And you can't tell who's what. There's no hierarchy there. You're not going to be celebrating and having a party. It's punishment forever and ever and ever. So don't you believe that lie? Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, what kind of God? We learned last week that it was created for the devil and his angels. And God has moved heaven and earth to make a way for every, listen to me, every single solitary soul to find their escape and rescue. And he did it with his own son. 
because we could not earn our way out because we all are due that kind of punishment. Jesus came and bled and died and rose from the dead and now offers to whosoever will call on his name a rescue, a pardon. Now, let me just tell you something. It gets even better. Not only will you miss the fire, not only will you miss the darkness, but you will then gain a personal relationship with God Almighty. And you'll, listen, you won't just think about, oh, well, I'm not going to hell now. I got my ticket out of, out of hell in my pocket. You'll be able to talk with God in the morning, in the afternoon, in the midday. He'll be able to talk to you. You'll be able to read your Bible, and it makes sense to you by the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. I'm telling you, he'll start changing you little by, I wish somebody would nod your head or something if you know what I'm talking about. He'll change you, and all of a sudden, the things you want to do that are not good, he starts taking the want to from you. Oh, it's beautiful. Some, some of you here today are saying, well, no, i got to get some things straight first before I do that. And that makes sense, doesn't it, to clean yourself up before you get in the shower? Your only hope of ever being made new and transformed is not in your effort. It's not in how much you can do or how often you'll be here. It's found in an authentic one-on-one relationship with King Jesus. I'm afraid there are a lot in this room that don't have it. I'm afraid there's some in this room and all you've got, man, is church attendance. And you're wondering why your whole life has been so, ah, I'm going to say it like this, filled with selfish hoarding, with the time and the talent and the resource of money God's given you. Now, for some, it's because we've never been born again. For some, for some, it's just we've just not been walking close with him. Did you know that he's the answer for both? What I want to do is invite you to bow with me for just a moment. I want to make a statement with heads bowed and eyes closed just really quickly. Here it is. I said we'll reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. We sow based on who we know, who's living in us. So quick question. By a show of hands, heads bowed and eyes closed, everybody kind of settling in, putting their books and things to the side. How many of you would say like me? First is confession. You see, the Word of God says if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's where we need to start this morning. God, I confess. I've been hoarding your resources. I did not realize it, but I've buried them in a jar, and I've just sort of kept it for me and my family and sort of what I want to do with my time and And God, I, I realize today that that's not the life of a follower of Christ. That's not a true example of Jesus to the world. So, Lord, would you, listen, would you, not, not I'm going to, but, Lord, would you transform my heart? I want to live a spend, I want to spend my life. I want to spend it away. I want to spend my time. I want to spend my abilities, what I'm good at. I want to spend it. I want to spend my money on the things that are eternal. I want to spend my life, whatever resource you give me, I want to spend it up. That's your prayer today. Would you stand to your feet? I'm standing already. It's my prayer. Oh, God, help me to be a spender. That's your prayer. You just stand to your feet. Just nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're just standing saying, God, I want to be, I want to be a spender. I want to be a loose spender of everything you've given me. I want to spend my words for the gospel. I want to spend my time praying and ministering and loving on people. I want to spend my money, Lord, on that which is eternal. Talk about a life change. Only God can do that.
Somebody today needs to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. It's time. You've been running. Oh, God made us so crystal clear today. And today you need to finally wave the white flag and invite Jesus Christ to come and be the Lord of your life. He'll save you. He'll save you. He will pardon your sin. He'll forgive you. He'll wash you clean. You'll not face the lake of fire and utter darkness. You'll begin relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, lived out by the Holy Spirit, fed by the Word of God, encouraged by the church of God. I'm telling you, it's a journey you can't even fathom. What are you waiting on? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take this time of invitation and, God, you'd have your way and you'd move and transform that people would fill this altar in prayer and response. And God, we would be here to receive. And Lord, just do whatever you want to do. We pray that now in the precious name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen.